Chapter Four: Moses in Egypt, Part One of the Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Beginning of the Egyptian Bondage. As soon as Jacob was dead, the eyes of the Israelites were closed, as well as their hearts. They began to feel the dominion of the stranger, although real bondage did not enslave them until some time later. While a single one of the sons of Jacob was alive, the Egyptians did not venture to approach the Israelites with evil intent. It was only when Levi, the last of them, had departed this life that their suffering commenced. A change in the relation of the Egyptians towards the Israelites had, indeed, been noticeable immediately after the death of Joseph, but they did not throw off their mask completely until Levi was no more. Then the slavery of the Israelites supervened in good earnest. The first hostile act on the part of the Egyptians was to deprive the Israelites of their fields, their vineyards, and the gifts that Joseph had sent to his brethren. Not content with these animosities, they sought to do them harm in other ways. The reason for the hatred of the Egyptians was envy and fear. The Israelites had increased to a miraculous degree. At the death of Jacob, the seventy persons he had brought down with him had grown to the number of six hundred thousand, and their physical strength and heroism were extraordinary, and therefore alarming, to the Egyptians. There were many occasions at that time for the display of prowess. Not long after the death of Levi occurred that of the Egyptian king Magron, who had been bred up by Joseph, and therefore was not wholly without grateful recollection of what he and his family had accomplished for the welfare of Egypt. But his son and successor Malol, together with his whole court, knew not the sons of Jacob and their achievements and they did not scruple to oppress the Hebrews. The final breach between them and the Egyptians took place during the wars waged by Malal against Zepho, the grandson of Esau. In the course of it the Israelites had saved the Egyptians from a crushing defeat, but instead of being grateful they sought only the undoing of their benefactors, from fear that the giant strength of the Hebrews might be turned against them. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Pharaoh's Cunning The counselors and elders of Egypt came to Pharaoh, and spake unto him, saying, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are greater and mightier than we. Thou hast seen their strong power, which they have inherited from their fathers. For a few of them stood up against a people as many as the sand of the sea and not one hath fallen. Now, therefore, give us counsel what to do with them, until we shall gradually destroy them from among us, lest they become too numerous in the land. For if they multiply, and there falleth out any war, they will also join themselves with their great strength unto our enemies, and fight against us, destroy us from the land, and get them up out of the land." 
the king answered the elders, saying, This is the plan advised by me against Israel, from which we will not depart. Behold, Pithom and Ramses are cities not fortified against battle. It behooves us to fortify them. Now, go ye and act cunningly against the children of Israel, and proclaim in Egypt and in Goshen, saying, All ye men of Egypt, Goshen, and Pathros, the king has commanded us to build Pithom and Ramses and fortify them against battle. Those amongst you, in all Egypt, of the children of Israel and of all the inhabitants of the cities, who are willing to build with us, shall have their wages given to them daily at the king's order. Then go ye first, and begin to build Pithom and Ramses, and cause the king's proclamation to be made daily. And when some of the children of Israel come to build, do ye give them their wages daily. And after they shall have built with you for their daily wages, draw yourselves away from them day by day, and one by one, in secret. Then you shall rise up and become their taskmasters and their officers, and you shall have them afterward to build without wages. And should they refuse, then force them with all your might to build. If you do this, it will go well with us, for we shall cause our land to be fortified after this manner, and with the children of Israel it will go ill, for they will decrease in number on account of the work, because you will prevent them from being with their wives. The elders, the counselors, and the whole of Egypt did according to the word of the king. For a month the servants of Pharaoh built with Israel. Then they withdrew themselves gradually, while the children of Israel continued to work, receiving their daily wages, for some men of Egypt were still carrying on the work with them. After a time all the Egyptians had withdrawn, and they had turned to become the officers and taskmasters of the Israelites. Then they refrained from giving them any pay, and when some of the Hebrews refused to work without wages, their taskmasters smote them and made them return by force to labor with their brethren. And the children of Israel were greatly afraid of the Egyptians, and they came again and worked without pay, all except the tribe of Levi, who were not employed in the work with their brethren. The children of Levi knew that the proclamation of the king was made to deceive Israel, therefore they refrained from listening to it, and the Egyptians did not molest them later, since they had not been with their brethren at the beginning, and though the Egyptians embittered the lives of the other Israelites with servile labor, they did not disturb the children of Levi. The Israelites called Malol, the king of Egypt, Maror, bitterness, because in his days the Egyptians embittered their lives with all manner of rigorous service. But Pharaoh did not rest satisfied with his proclamation and the affliction it imposed upon the Israelites. He suspended a brick press from his own neck, and himself took part in the work at Pithom and Ramses. After this, whenever a Hebrew refused to come and help with the building, alleging that he was not fit for such hard service, the Egyptians would retort, saying, 
dost thou mean to make us believe thou art more delicate than Pharaoh? The king himself urged the Israelites on with gentle words, saying, My children, I beg you to do this work and erect these buildings for me. I will give you great reward, therefore. By means of such artifices and wily words, the Egyptians succeeded in overmastering the Israelites, and once they had them in their power, they treated them with undisguised brutality. Women were forced to perform men's work, and men women's work. The building of Pithom and Ramses turned out no advantage to the Egyptians, for scarcely were the structures completed when they collapsed, or they were swallowed by the earth and the Hebrew workmen, besides having to suffer hardships during their erection, lost their lives by being precipitated from enormous heights when the buildings fell in a heap. But the Egyptians were little concerned whether or not they derived profit from the forced labor of the children of Israel. Their main object was to hinder their increase, and Pharaoh therefore issued an order that they were not to be permitted to sleep at their own homes so that they might be deprived of the opportunity of having intercourse with their wives. The officers executed the will of the king, telling the Hebrews that the reason was the loss of too much time in going to and fro, which would prevent them from completing the required tale of bricks. Thus the Hebrew husbands were kept apart from their wives, and they were compelled to sleep on the ground, away from their habitations. But God spake, saying, Unto their father Abraham I gave the promise, that I would make his children to be as numerous as the stars in the heavens, and you contrive plans to prevent them from multiplying? We shall see whose word will stand, mine or yours. And it came to pass that the more the Egyptians afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad and they continued to increase in spite of Pharaoh's command, that those who did not complete the required tale of bricks were to be immured in the buildings between the layers of bricks, and great was the number of Israelites that lost their lives in this way. Many of their children were, besides, slaughtered as sacrifices to the idols of the Egyptians. For this reason, God visited retribution upon the idols at the time of the going forth of the Israelites from Egypt. They had caused the death of the Hebrew children, and in turn they were shattered, and they crumbled into dust. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg The Pious Midwives when now, in spite of all their tribulations, the children of Israel continued to multiply and spread abroad, so that the land was full of them as with thick underbrush, for the women brought forth many children at a birth, the Egyptians appeared before Pharaoh again and urged him to devise some other way of ridding the land of the Hebrews, seeing that they were increasing mightily, though they were made to toil and hard labor. Pharaoh could invent no new design. He asked his counselors to give him their opinions of the thing. Then spake one of them, Job of the land of Uz, which is in Aram Naharaim, 
as follows. The plan which the king invented, of putting a great burden of work upon the Israelites, was good in its time, and it should be executed henceforth, too, but to secure us against the fear that, if a war should come to pass, they may overwhelm us by reason of their numbers, and chase us forth out of the land, let the king issue a decree that every male child of the Israelites shall be killed at his birth. Then we need not be afraid of them if we should be overtaken by war. Now let the king summon the Hebrew midwives, that they come hither, and let him command them in accordance with this plan. Job's advice found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They preferred to have the midwives murder the innocents, for they feared the punishment of God if they laid hands upon them themselves. Pharaoh cited the two midwives of the Hebrews before him and commanded them to slay all men children, but to save the daughters of the Hebrew women alive. For the Egyptians were as much interested in preserving the female children as in bringing about the death of the male children. They were very sensual, and were desirous of having as many women as possible at their service. However, the plan, even if it had been carried into execution, was not wise, for though a man may marry many wives, each woman can marry but one husband. Thus a diminished number of men and a corresponding increase in the number of women did not constitute so serious a menace to the continuance of the nation of the Israelites, as the reverse case would have been. The two Hebrew midwives were Jochebed, the mother of Moses, and Miriam, his sister. When they appeared before Pharaoh, Miriam exclaimed, Woe be to this man when God visits retribution upon him for his evil deeds. The king would have killed her for these audacious words, had not Jochebed allayed his wrath by saying, Why dost thou pay heed to her words? She is but a child, and knows not what she speaks. Yet, although Miriam was but five years old at the time, she nevertheless accompanied her mother and helped her with her offices to the Hebrew women, giving food to the newborn babes, while Jochebed washed and bathed them. Pharaoh's order ran as follows. At the birth of the child, if it be a man-child, kill it. If it be a female child, then you need not kill it, but you may save it alive. The midwives returned. How are we to know whether the child is male or female? For the king had bidden them kill it while it was being born. Pharaoh replied, If the child issues forth from the womb with its face foremost, it is a man-child, for it looks to the earth whence man was taken. But if its feet appear first, it is a female, for it looks up towards the rib of the mother, and from a rib woman was made. The king used all sorts of devices to render the midwives amenable to his wishes. He approached them with amorous proposals, which they both repelled, and then he threatened them with death by fire. But they said within themselves, Our father Abraham opened an inn, that he might feed the wayfarers, 
though they were heathen, and we should neglect the children, nay, kill them? No, we shall have a care to keep them alive. Thus they failed to execute what Pharaoh had commanded. Instead of murdering the babes, they supplied all their needs. If a mother that had given birth to a child lacked food and drink, the midwives went to well-to-do women and took up a collection, that the infant might not suffer want. They did still more for the little ones. They made supplication to God, praying, Thou knowest that we are not fulfilling the words of Pharaoh, but it is our aim to fulfill thy words. O oh, that it be thy will, our Lord, to let the child come into the world safe and sound, lest we fall under the suspicion that we tried to slay it, and maimed it in the attempt. The Lord hearkened to their prayer, and no child born under the ministrations of Shifra and Pua, or Jochebed and Miriam, as the midwives are also called, came into the world lame or blind or afflicted with any other blemish. Seeing that his command was ineffectual, he summoned the midwives a second time, and called them to account for the disobedience. They replied, This nation is compared unto one animal and another, and in sooth the Hebrews are like the animals. As little as the animals do, they need the offices of midwives. These two God-fearing women were rewarded in many ways for their good deeds. Not only that Pharaoh did them no harm, but they were made the ancestors of priests and Levites, the kings and princes. Jochebed became the mother of the priest Aaron and of the Levite Moses. And from Miriam's union with Caleb sprang the royal house of David. The hand of God was visible in her married life. She contracted a grievous sickness, and though it was thought by all that saw her that death would certainly overtake her, she recovered, and God restored her youth and bestowed unusual beauty upon her, so that renewed happiness awaited her husband, who had been deprived of the pleasures of conjugal life during her long illness. His unexpected joys were the reward of his piety and trust in God and another recompense was accorded to Miriam. She was privileged to bring forth Bezalel, the builder of the tabernacle, who was endowed with celestial wisdom. End of chapter 4, part 1